Chapter Two of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, a Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Introduction, The Last Abbot of Whaley. Chapter Two, The Eruption. Demdike went a little further down the hill, stopping when he came to the green patch. He then plunged his staff into the sod at the first point where he had cast a tuft of heather, and with such force that it sank more than three feet. The next moment he plucked it forth, as if with a great effort, and a jet of black water spouted into the air. But heedless of this he went to the next mark spot, and again plunged the sharp point of the implement into the ground. Again it sank to the same depth, and on being drawn out, a second black jet sprung forth. Meanwhile, the hostile party continued to advance up the dry channel before mentioned, and shouted on beholding those strange preparations, but they did not relax their speed. Once more the staff sank into the ground, and a third black fountain followed its extrication. By this time the royalist soldiers were close at hand, and the features of their two leaders, John Bradill and Richard Asherton, could be plainly distinguished, and their voices heard. "'Tis he! "'Tis the rebel abbot!" vociferated Bradill, pressing forward. "'We were not misinformed. He has been watching by the beacon. The devil has delivered him into our hands.' "'Ho, ho!' laughed Demdike. "'Abbot no longer. "'Tis the Earl of Poverty you mean.' responded Asherton. The villain shall be gibbeted on the spot where he has fired the beacon, as a warning to all traitors. Ha! Heretics! Ha! Blasphemers! I can at least avenge myself upon you! cried Paslew, striking spurs into his charger. But ere he could execute his purpose, Demdike had sprung backward, and catching the bridle, restrained the animal by a powerful effort. Hold! he cried in a voice of thunder, or you will share their fate. As the words were uttered, a dull, booming, subterranean sound was heard, and instantly afterwards, with a crash like thunder, the whole of the green circle beneath slipped off, and from a yawning rent under it burst forth with irresistible fury a thick, inky-coloured torrent, which, rising almost breast-high, fell upon the devoted royalist soldiers, who were advancing right in its course. Unable to avoid the watery eruption, or to resist its fury when it came upon them, they were instantly swept from their feet, and carried down the channel. A sight of horror was it to behold the sudden rise of that swarthy stream, whose waters, tinged by the ruddy glare of the beacon fire, looked like waves of blood. Nor less fearful was it to hear the first wild despairing cry raised by the victims, or the quickly stifled shrieks and groans that followed, mixed with the deafening roar of the stream and the crashing fall of the stones which accompanied its course. Down, down went the poor wretches, now utterly overwhelmed by the torrent, now regaining their feet only to utter a scream and then be swept off. Here a miserable straggler, whirled onwards, would clutch at the banks, and try to scramble forth, but the soft turf giving way beneath him, he was hurried off to eternity. At another point, where the stream encountered some trifling opposition, some two or three managed to gain a footing, 
but they were unable to extricate themselves. The vast quantity of boggy soil brought down by the current, which rapidly collected here, embedded them, and held them fast, so that the momently deepening water, already up to their chins, threatened speedy immersion. Others were stricken down by great masses of turf, or huge rocky fragments, which, bounding from point to point with the torrent, bruised or crushed all they encountered, or, lodging in some difficult place, slightly diverted the course of the torrent, and rendered it yet more dangerous. On one of these stones, larger than the rest, which had been stopped in its course, a man contrived to creep, and with difficulty kept his post amid the raging flood. Vainly did he extend his hand to such of his fellows as were swept, shrieking past him. He could not lend them aid, while his own position was so desperately hazardous that he did not dare to quit it. To leap on either bank was impossible, and to breast the headlong stream certain death. On goes the current, madly, furiously, as if rejoicing in the work of destruction, while the white foam of its eddies presents a fearful contrast to the prevailing blackness of the surface. Over the last declivity it leaps, hissing, foaming, crashing like an avalanche. The stone wall for a moment opposes its force, but falls the next, with a mighty splash, carrying the spray far and wide, while its own fragments roll onward with the stream. The trees of the orchard are uprooted in an instant, and an old elm falls prostrate. The outbuildings of a cottage are invaded, and the porkers and cattle, divining their danger, squeal and bellow in affright, but they are quickly silenced. The resistless foe has broken down wall and door, and buried the poor creatures in mud and rubbish. The stream next invades the cottage, breaks in through door and window, and filling all the lower parts of the tenement, in a few minutes converts it into a heap of ruin. On goes the destroyer, tearing up more trees, levelling more houses, and filling up a small pool, till the latter bursts its banks, and with an accession to its force, pours itself into a mill-dam. Here its waters are stayed until they find a vent underneath, and the action of the stream, as it rushes downward through this exit, forms a great eddy above, in which swim some living things, cattle and sheep from the fold, not yet drowned, mixed with furniture from the cottages, and amidst them the bodies of some of the unfortunate men-at-arms which have been washed hither. But, ha! another thundering crash! The dam has burst! The torrent roars and rushes on furiously as before, joins its forces with Pendle water, swells up the river, and devastates the country far and wide. Footnote 1 a similar eruption occurred at Pendle Hill in August 1669, and has been described by Mr. Charles Townley in a letter cited by Dr. Whitaker in his excellent History of Whaley. Other and more formidable eruptions had taken place previously, occasioning much damage to the country. The cause of the phenomenon is thus explained by Mr. Townley. The colour of the water, its coming down to the place where it breaks forth between the rock and the earth, with that other particular of its bringing nothing along but stones and earth, are evident signs that it hath not its origin from the very bowels of the mountain, but that it is only rain-water, coloured first in the moss-pits, of which the top of the hill, being a great and considerable plain, is full, shrunk down into some receptacle fit to contain it, until at last, by its weight or by some other cause, it finds a passage to the sides of the hill, 
and then away between the rock and swarth, until it breaks the latter and violently rushes out. The abbot and his companions beheld this work of destruction with amazement and dread. Blanche terror sat in their cheeks, and the blood was frozen in Paslew's veins, for he thought it the work of the powers of darkness, and that he was leagued with them. He tried to mutter a prayer, but his lips refused their office. He would have moved, but his limbs were stiffened and paralysed, and he could only gaze aghast at the terrible spectacle. Amidst it all he heard a wild burst of unearthly laughter, proceeding, he thought, from Demdike, and it filled him with new dread, but he could not check the sound, neither could he stop his ears, though he would fain have done so. Like him, his companions were petrified and speechless with fear. After this had endured for some time, though still the black torrent rushed on impetuously as ever, Demdike turned to the abbot and said, "'Your vengeance has been fully gratified. You will now baptise my child?' "'Never, never, cursed being!' shrieked the abbot. "'Thou mayst sacrifice her at thine own impious rites. But see, there is one poor wretch yet struggling with the foaming torrent. I may save him.' "'That is John Bradill, thy worst enemy,' replied Demdike. "'If he lives, he shall possess half Whaley Abbey. "'Thou hadst best also save Richard Asherton, "'who yet clings to the great stone below. "'As if he escapes, he shall have the other half. "'Mark him, and make haste, for in five minutes both shall be gone.' "'I will save them if I can. "'Be the consequence to myself what it may.' replied the abbot, and regardless of the derisive laughter of the other, who yelled in his ears as he went, "'Bess shall see thee hanged at thine own door!' He dashed down the hill to a spot where a small object, distinguishable above the stream, showed that someone still kept his head above water, his tall stature having preserved him. "'Is it you, John Bradill?' cried the abbot, as he rode up. "'Aye!' "'replied the head. "'Forgive me for the wrong I intended you, "'and deliver me from this great peril.' "'I am come for that purpose,' replied the abbot, "'dismounting and disencumbering himself of his heavy cloak. "'By this time the two herdsmen had come up, "'and the abbot, taking a crook from one of them, "'clutched hold of the fellow, "'and plunging fearlessly into the stream, "'extended it towards the drowning man, "'who instantly lifted up his hand to grasp it. "'In doing so, Bradil lost his balance, but as he did not quit his hold, he was plucked forth from the tenacious mud by the combined efforts of the abbot and his assistant, and with some difficulty dragged ashore. "'Now for the other,' cried Paslew, as he placed Bradil in safety. "'One half of the abbey is gone from thee,' shouted a voice in his ears as he rushed on. Presently, he reached the rocky fragment on which Ralph Asherton rested. The latter was in great danger from the surging torrent, and the stone on which he had taken refuge tottered at its base, and threatened to roll over. "'In heaven's name help me, Lord Abbot, as thou thyself shall be holpen at thy need!' shrieked Asherton. "'Be not afraid, Richard Asherton,' replied Paslew. "'I will deliver thee as I have delivered John Bradill.' but the task was not of easy accomplishment. The abbot made his preparations as before, grasped the hand of the herdsman, and held out the crook to Asherton. 
but when the latter caught it, the stream swung him round with such force that the abbot must either abandon him or advance further into the water. Bent on Asherton's preservation, he adopted the latter expedient, and instantly lost his feet, while the herdsman, unable longer to hold him, let go the crook, and the abbot and Asherton were swept down the stream together. Down, down they went, destruction apparently awaiting them, but the abbot, though sometimes quite under the water, and bruised by the rough stones and gravel with which he came in contact, still retained his self-possession, and encouraged his companion to hope for succour. In this way they were borne down to the foot of the hill, the monks, the herdsmen, and the men-at-arms having given them up as lost. But they yet lived, yet floated, though greatly injured and almost senseless, when they were cast into a pool formed by the eddying waters at the foot of the hill. Here, wholly unable to assist himself, Asherton was seized by a black hound, belonging to a tall man who stood on the bank, and who shouted to Paslew as he helped the animal to bring the drowning man ashore. "'The other half of the abbey is gone from thee. Wilt thou baptise my child if I send my dog to save thee?' "'Never,' replied the other, sinking as he spoke. Flashes of fire glanced in the abbot's eyes, and stunning sounds seemed to burst his ears. A few more struggles, and he became senseless. But he was not destined to die thus. What happened afterwards he knew not, but when he recovered full consciousness, he found himself stretched with aching limbs and throbbing head upon a couch in a monastic room, with a richly painted and gilded ceiling, with shields at the corners, emblazoned with the three luces of Whaley, and with panels hung with tapestry from the looms of Flanders, representing divers scriptural subjects. Oh, "'Have I been dreaming?' he murmured. "'No,' replied a tall man, standing by his bedside. "'Thou hast been saved from one death to suffer another more ignominious.' Ah! cried the abbot, starting up and pressing his hand to his temples. "'Thou here? I, I am appointed to watch thee,' replied Demdike. "'Thou art a prisoner in thine own chamber at Whaley. All has befallen as I told thee. The Earl of Derby is master of the abbey. Thy adherents are dispersed, and thy brethren are driven forth. Thy two partners in rebellion, the abbots of Jervaux and Sally, have been conveyed to Lancaster Castle, whither thou wilt go as soon as thou canst be moved. I will surrender all, silver and gold, land and possessions, to the king, if I may die in peace, groaned the abbot. It is not needed, rejoined the other. Attainted of felony, thy lands and abbey will be forfeited to the crown, and they shall be sold, as I have told thee, to John Bradill and Richard Asherton, who will be rulers here, in thy stead. "'Would I had perished in the flood!' groaned the abbot. "'Well mayst thou wish so,' returned his tormentor. "'But thou wert not destined to die by water. As I have said, thou shalt be hanged at thy own door, and my wife shall witness thy end.' "'Who art thou? I have heard thy voice before,' cried the abbot. It is like the voice of one whom I knew years ago, and the features are like his, though changed greatly. Who art thou? Thou shalt know before thou diest, 
replied the other, with a look of gratified vengeance. Farewell, and reflect upon thy fate. So saying, he strode towards the door, while the miserable abbot arose, and marching with uncertain steps to a little oratory adjoining, which he himself had built, knelt down before the altar, and strove to pray. End of chapter 2